Good news, you're here just in time. Here's another Laneway Talks. Welcome, Rob, to uh, another episode of Laneway Talks with Vincent Thank Rob. You, Vince. Nice to be here. Now, I've got a, uh, a full schedule for today for us, so Excellent. be prepared. I'll be prepared as I can be. All right. Well, let's talk about <clears throat> fusion rock, progressive rock, and classic rock. What I want to do today is I wanted to get your opinion on what those categories mean. Let's start with fusion rock, and your time okay. starts now. Oh, right. This is a bit of a test. This is early <laughs> Fusion, well, it's the word fusion, isn't it? That, um, and it's a fusion of different styles. So it's jazz and it's classical and well, it's probably more jazz. Mm. Yeah, I'd blues. probably say it that way, yeah. would say uh, when you look at fusion. Well, tell me, Rob, would you consider Sebastian Hardy fusion rock? Um, I'd have to have a listen. You know, um, at mid-70s, mid-70s. Yeah, I haven't listened to Sebastian Hardy since. Probably the mid seventies, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the, the combination of jazz and blues, isn't it? Uh, I would probably. I don't know about the blues. I would put jazz with rock, but I suppose you could call it rhythm and blues with um, rhythm and blues. Yeah, well, the original yeah. style of rhythm and blues. Yeah, yeah. Not All right. Well, well let's move to progressive rock then. What do you see as progressive rock? Um, well, progressive rock is, is exactly what the word means. It's progressive. It's sort of moving the style forward. So it embraces fusion. It's got more jazz elements. I think progressive rock's probably more classically based in compositional form. Yeah, um, if you went to Yes, who have re- that's cla- classed as progressive rock, I would think. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's very composed. Whereas fusion would be more improvised, more. I think you're right too. In the classical, uh, there's some classical there. Yeah, well, that's what classical music stems from, and the, the style of it is it's very composed and has a strict structure and follows form, and it's very technically advanced as well. So. Well, who would you consider progressive rock? Um, well, I'd have to say Rush would be, you know, yeah, probably the okay. world leader. I would most popular in that. See, I didn't, I, I didn't think they were progressive rock. I thought they were just a straight rock band. Um, no, Russia. The top of the, I mean, you know, Neil's won the number one progressive rock drummer for, you know, decades, really. Right. But, so so um, we class Rush as progressive rock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's put our minds together and think of another band we consider progressive rock. Well, Dream Theater. Dream Theater. Well, that's going to be late 80s, early 90s? Yes. All right, Dream Theater. Okay. All right, now let's move to classic rock. Why do we call it classic rock? Well, because it's the beginnings and the origin, isn't it? You know, it's like the classic rock bands are the ones that started the movement for us, you know. See, I wouldn't have seen it that way. I would have seen classic rock is straight out rhythm and blues rock. And it, it doesn't, you know, obviously it started in the 70s, but uh, for me anyway, but it it doesn't matter. It can be in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. If it's rhythm and blues rock, then to me it's classic rock. Okay. So I, I you know, I have to look at some of the bands that we release at Laneway. Uh, Remora would be classic rock, you know. Uh, I suppose there's some forms of Phil Manning and Matt Taylor on their own solo projects as classic rock as opposed to blues. Virgin Soldiers, I'd consider, I'd put them in the classic rock uh, category for sure. Uh, what yeah, do- I mean, we're classed in the Encyclopedia Metallicum and all those online databases. We're yeah. classed as a proto metal band. So, Pro- so what? Proton? Proto. 
proto. Uh, what, what, so you know, we were one of the first bands to really go I, down that heavier. Yeah, I've never come across more. that. So I call it proto metal. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's all these sub-genres of metal and that's kind of where we're classed because, you know, we're one of the first metal bands in Melbourne. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, that class is proto-metal. So, yeah, I, in an earlier version of the Soldiers, it would have been classic rock, but it got more towards the metal thing. Yeah, okay. So that's our classic rock. Okay, I just wanted to clear those things up um, to see if we're, you know, we're thinking the same. So what would you class as the, what would you class the following bands of? And I'm, I'm picking, I'm going to, today going to pick mid-70s bands, okay? Okay. Okay, yep. Humble Pie. Oh, it's classic. Oh. Yeah, with a harder edge than classic, do you think? Oh, I think cl- a harder yeah, edge. Yeah, I mean, Steve Marriott. I mean, there's a, a guy in Melbourne who used to play drums for Steve Marriott and Humble Pie and Packet of Three and Fallon Williams. I don't know whether you've come across Fallon at all. But, no, what's his name? Uh, Fallon Williams. Never heard of him. Yeah, he's been in Melbourne for I met him in the late 80s. He did some clinics for me at Brashes and he played with Steve Marriott. He'd just come from England, actually. Wow. Okay. Well, I see, yeah, I see Humble Pie as a, if you go back to Smokin' um, or, you know, uh, Live at the Fillmore, it's incredible how hard rock they were for the time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that real, uh, the Marshalls were really... Uh, at number 11 with a lot of distortion in them. And I can see why Peter Frampton left because I'm going to move to Peter, only because he was there in Humble Pie, I'm moving to Peter Frampton next because he's mid-70s too. And I can see why he left Humble Pie when I see what he's doing. So what do you consider Peter Frampton? Um, I mean, it's not really AOR, but it's kind of leaning towards that because, you know, I mean, Frampton still rocks, but Frampton Comes Alive was a classic rock album, I think, of the time. And it was number one forever, wasn't it? Well, um, interesting, I'll tell you a story about Peter Frampton, is that I was putting together a Night Moves DVD many, many years ago, and I'd found, because we had all these old tapes of the show, and I'd, I'd found a clip of Peter Frampton Live, yeah. and I hadn't seen it anywhere else. So, um, well, I wanted to put it on the DVD, and I wrote to Universal, who promptly said no. I'm pretty sure it was Universal who promptly said no. It was all just too hard, I think. They didn't want to go to him or whatever. I thought that was a travesty, so I tracked down Peter Frampton himself and actually got to his manager, who came back and said, Peter said he's never, ever seen this clip before. It was Jumping Jack Flash, by the way the song. Yeah, that's a great version. And he said he has never seen this clip before and he loves it. And where we've told Universal to approve to approve it. <laughs> so we got it. So I went back to Universal and said, uh, Peter Peter Frampton has said it's approved. So can you check with him? Yep. <laughs> so I would consider him, as you said, AOR, but the the initial creation of the the term AOR, adult contemporary, um, yep. uh, because he, that's where he was. He, he wasn't a hard rock rocker, that's for sure. And he, to me, was, uh, no, he wasn't edging towards pop, so he was that soft rock or, you know, or what we call soft cock. Um, and I, I think <laughs> that's... That. No, he probably can't. But that's what I see him as, as the beginning and... The one that I suppose was able to influence that term, you know. What do you think? Um, he was. I mean, 
uh, you know, I just think of um, Frank Zappa's parody of him and his album "I'm in You" or "I'm in You" or however you want to. Is is that Frank that. Zappa's album? Is it? No, Frank Zappa has a whole skit that he does with his band around "I'm in You." Um, I remember the, the Peter Frampton yeah. song. Yeah, and yeah, it's hilarious. And he kind of because it got to a point. I think the point that Zappa's making is the way that they sold those artists um, to young girls because that was the audience. I mean, the audience is still the same. They're probably one of the biggest purchasers or downloader of music these days. Well, anyway, well, well, it's true because think about what Peter Frampton used to wear back then. Satin oh, yeah, flares that's, that's, and that's the, a satin vest. <laughs> you know. I mean, really. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I think that. I think you're right. All of those bands, I think, had fashion tragedies, you know. <laughs> I don't think anyone yeah. played it. yeah. You know, interestingly, I as a bold statement I'll make is that I considered uh, Steve Marriott just a sensational guitarist. I loved that oh, style. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't. Totally I've true. never considered Peter Frampton a brilliant guitarist. I consider him a lead guitarist. I don't put him in the brilliant lead guitarist. Now, that's a bold statement to make. His lead breaks sound really nice. There's nothing extraordinary about them. They fit the songs perfectly, whereas Steve Marriott's, he's all over the place, you know, and he's just pushing it to the limit, and I, I love that. Anyway, that's that's my statement on that. Yeah, I mean, they're all distinctions, really, that, you know, um, how do you define them? That's the, the tricky way. I mean, I found that in my research, how do you define where the lines are between the different styles of music? I mean, is it, you know, because your Marshall's on 11, as you said before, or mm. is it the aggressive way that they play the guitar? I mean, if you look at Pete Townsend, you know, that's a really aggressive way to play the guitar. And what were the who in all of this? You know, the who would be classic rock. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But with the energy that they had, it's nearly, you know, a punk sort of ethos that those guys started because they were just mm. lame. That's mm, pretty good you know, way of putting it. Frampton, I saw Frampton a couple of weeks ago on a thing that just came up on my feed and it was with a couple of other guitar players. I don't think I can remember who it was, but he was shredding. Was he? Yeah. I mean, he's got the command of the instrument. Um, I think having to judge him by what he released, I think it was probably very safe, so it sold. But mm. Um, mm. you get him in a room where he's just on his own and ripping or playing with a band that's pushing him, yeah. I think you, you just said it then. He um, he released what was safe because it sold, and that's yeah. how I saw his lead breaks. They were all safe lead breaks. Yeah, they were, yeah. Yeah. Now, we move to um, Kiss. And I mean kiss in kiss and hotter than hell. And basically <laughs> getting dressed to right kill. Here, yeah, <laughs> mate, a classic, right? So I was born and bred on that first album. So what do you think? You know, what, what do you class them as back then? Oh, I mean, that's, that's classic rock. But it's very riff-based. Mm. I mean, that album, Hotter Than Hell, I, I bought a live when it came out because it just I had no idea of who this band was. I saw it in CC Records, which yep. is my local record store, and I yep. the album cover grabbed me. Um, I actually saw you mean a li- You mean alive or the original? Alive, yes, yeah, alive. And you got the booklet um, with it, did you? Because um, I've got the booklet with it. So when it came out originally, you got like a twelve-page colour glossy booklet. Unbelievable. No, I mean, I've, you know, I bought it when it came out, and it didn't come with that. No, you know. it didn't later. They, I, they must have done it for the first ten yeah. so thousand I mean, or something. To it, you know. You used to go into a record shop and you'd ask them if you could play a couple of tracks on yeah. it and you'd go down and you'd go to the headphone booth and yeah. you'd 
turn the headphones up, and it came on and it blew my mind. I yeah. went, wow, who is this? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. took it home and I played it. My dad got home from work and he just screamed at me. He said, turn this shit off. Yeah. And I went, beauty, it's a winner. But then I went and I bought Kiss and I bought Hotter Than Hell and I bought Dress to Kill. Mm. And the energy in those albums wasn't the same as what Alive was. And I no. kind of went, I found it very difficult to listen to those albums. Right. Was I love those three Hotter albums. Hell and Dress to Kill and Kiss because love them. they weren't the versions that I loved. The I versions probably, that I loved were how they played it live. Isn't that, isn't that the epitome of how different we are, Rob? And we have our differences okay. of opinion. And I love those first three albums and I think the Alive album is the worst live recording I've ever heard. <laughs> really? That's yeah, nice. yeah. Wow, that blows my mind. I, um, I never liked the recording. There was way too much audience on there, and I wanted to listen to the band. But remember, we go back to you listen to lyrics, and you you you, you can interpret the lyrics, whereas I have no interest in what the, what the lyric is. I, I'm interested in the music and how the vocal joins with the music. So that doesn't doesn't surprise me. But that that's Kiss. So, but let's go back to what are we classing Kiss as? Well, it's classic rock. Classic rock. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, classic classic rock. Yeah, um, on the edge of something else, but um, classic rock. But on the edge of a little bit more refined, but I don't know why. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's hard rock. Yeah. You know, that was just normal rock at that stage anyway. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, now we move to Judas Priest. Now, before you say anything, we are limiting this to the first two. You can go to the third album, but only just. But the first okay. two albums, all right? Rocker Roller and Sad Wings of Destiny. Okay. All right? Come on, give me sure. your thoughts. Well, I didn't get into Priest until I started playing in the Virgin Soldiers, which wasn't until 85. So I Oh, mate, they were old men by then. Well, yeah, pretty much. But it wasn't really a band that, that I'd even really heard of. But the Soldiers boys were right into it. We did a couple of Priest covers. And then we had a, a, a DVD, oh, it wasn't a DVD, a video of one of the live concerts mm. that they did, which was just massive. And yeah, I thought that was amazing. Well, um, I think if you listen to that, and ha- have you got, have you, I mean, if, if you're lucky enough, and I've got them, the first two yep. on vinyl, and Rock and Roller was more a, uh, a raw rock, uh, uh, more rock sounding band. Uh, yeah. And then Sad Wings of Destiny was a very polished style of their own, classic rock on the edge of something else. Now, you might go, well, they're metal, right? But at the time, I didn't think so. I thought it was a lot more polished than metal. Metal was a hard tag back then. Very, I don't, know, don't even know if it existed in the mid-70s. Uh, but that Sad Wings of Destiny blew my mind. The, his vocal blew my mind and the guitar yep. work blew my The whole thing, I just played that, that, that vinyl to death and um, I saw it as a whole new beginning and I was a bit disappointed, quite frankly, later on, you know, with their other 32 albums, which just, just become just <laughs> noise. Yeah, yeah. Thir- just become yeah. noise to me. But the next, the, the album after that, and I've forgotten the name of it, that was pretty good too. And then it, I wasn't so happy after that. But those those first two records are just. Sad Rings of Destiny? Yeah, oh, Sad Rings of Destiny and Rock a Roller to me yeah. are just unbelievable records. But Sad Wings of Destiny, the Judas Priest were um, pushing the boundaries of a new form of 
rock metal. Yeah, it was progressive. I mean, I've got them here in Yes, Google. yeah, progressive. Good, yeah, good. You know, they've got the genres, heavy metal, hard rock, progressive rock, blues rock and psychedelic rock. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, anyway, we'll move to another one, which is a lot harder, okay? Uri- yep. Uriah Heap. Yeah, I'd love Uriah Heap. I thought they were great. Yeah, you might like them, but I need a tag, mate. You need a tag. Yeah, what are you, what are you tagging them as? Are they classic uh, rock I, or are they I, progressive? I reckon they're more experimental and prog, really, but um, it's, it's rock, but it was, it was very keys-based as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a love-hate relationship with. But I, I found that too. I, I, um, We used to play the live album to death. The black, yeah. black-covered one, I've forgotten it now. But anyway. You're right, he flies. Yeah, whatever, if that's what it was called. We used to play it to death. Um, yeah. I won't say that we were drugged off our minds, but, you know. I bought very, very, very unbelievable things and wizards, I had that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we used to play that live one, and we thought that was, it was pretty good. I mean, if you're tripping a bit, it was pretty damn good. But I listen to it now, and I find it so dated. It, to me, hasn't weathered the test of time. I mean, have you? Okay. I, I need you. I'm going to ask you next week. Go back and have a listen to that uh, album, and tell me whether you, you listen now and go, "That's dated." All right? Yeah, I, I would agree with you anyway. Without even listening to it, yes, it is because I, I have and I do listen to Uriah Heap. There, you know, mm. one of the bands I listen to from time to time to sort of go, "Do I still like it?" And then I go, "Not really," because it is dated. But yeah, um, you know, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's great. It's great music, and you know, I think they're a great band. And he he went off when David Byron left. He formed yeah. another band called I think it was Black Diamond or I've got it. I've got the vinyl, and it's actually a really okay. really good record. But it did absolutely nothing. I think it was all over. But by where then. did Mick Box end up going? I don't know. I don't know. I, I know the David Byron one. I followed him, and I think it was called Black Diamonds. I'll look it up. I'll go through my vinyl. Um, now he's a. Uh, a really easy one for you, okay? Deep Purple. Oh, it's classic rock. Thanks. It's classic rock, is it? Yeah, yeah. So um, just, is it quintessential classic rock, is it? Absolutely. Right, okay. You're, I think those Purple were untouchable. You're a big, fa- you're big fan, are you? In the Made in Japan era. Um, yeah, I have always been. I have got in rock. I mean, the first single I ever bought was Black Knight. Um, oh, right. I wasted all my pocket money one holiday just playing Black Knight in the jukebox. You know, Aren't you sick of that song now? Song. Black Knight, I'm sick of that song. Yeah. It's I, like I mean, Smoke on the Water. i played it so many times. Oh, you know, smoke um, on the Water, don't ever, don't ever ask me to play that song, all right? I mean, I've got five of um, Yeah, good, good album. What about that, Burn? Burn was a classic I, record. See, I, I, I struggled when Richie left. Did you? And Roger left. Yeah, I, I really had trouble when I heard Burn. I went, it's not the same band. Um, I found every song. I mean, I got into great. it. I mean, I saw that line up with Tommy Bowman mm. here in Adelaide, but I was the Mark II version is the version for me of that band. And as I said, they were on fire. And like with Smoke on the Water, I've um, actually working on that with a student at the moment, and I've got this software called Ripex, and you can it separates all the tracks of the mix. Mm. And um, listening to Ian Paster's drums, I mean, they were recorded in a hallway in a hotel, you know. It's like when you listen to the quality of the sound and the playing and what he does, um, when you separate those tracks like that, it's brilliant. 
And I've I really always think, thought he was a great he was a great drummer. I really think the thing that held that whole band together was John Lord's keyboard sound. You know, Richie was the spice over the top, but John Lord was because he was running through Marshall, had it sounded like a guitar but it wasn't mm. you know, it was really mm. clever the way they blended those instruments yeah it's true now um, actually i've never thought about that and the way they blended was very nice no all right yeah. we're moving on black sabbath straightforward easy one for you oh they were, you know they were my favorite um, next to yeah, what, really. yeah what's the tag oh, hard rock I, th- I thought it was classic rock hard rock i didn't really the metal thing didn't come into it until Later, I don't yeah, know. metal didn't really come into it until the eighties. Really, I mean, yeah. were, were there any metal bands in the seventies? I don't think there was a you know, tag. Well, the, was there? The tag didn't exist. I mean, it was Steppenwolf that made the line "Heavy Metal Thunder" in "And I Born to Be Wild." Mm. But you know, that's another band, Steppenwolf. You know, you put them in classic rock as well. They were super heavy. Or, yeah. But they were more late sixties, early seventies, weren't they? I mean, when I think of Sabbath, I always think of Taste, and I think of that first album. Right, second album, pretty lame. Have a bit of a chuckle about that with Joey Mentor. Um, I said they're obviously fantasizing. They were going to be, you know, knights of the uh, uh, knights of love. Yeah, you know, they were going to be knights of the round table. But the first record is to me got real semblances of Black Sabbath in it. I mean, it's hard not for any band of a heavier ilk not to have semblances. Sabbath in it because Homie's guitar sound was just legendary and um, I really think, you know, Geezer and Bill Ward, one of my favourite drummers, um, you know, Bill Ward had a very, very classical approach and compositional approach to playing. He didn't have a, a straight kick, snare, hi-hat mm. way of approaching it. He was all over the toms and he was playing the riffs and, you know, they had really interesting arrangements. They were just going for it, which mm. was, when you see the live footage, it was difficult for them, I think, to get that point across. Mm. I mean, it doesn't record well. But probably being there, I mean, I was outside of Sabbath in the British Music to the World concert here in Adelaide, which was, I don't know, 74, 75, with status quo. And hearing them live was amazing because mm. they were just so overpowering. But when you actually watch that footage from an old DVD or video, it just it doesn't seem to come across. It seems very dry. Mm. Mm. So it's lost in translation, I think. Um, so we so we class we class them as straight classic rock. I'd say classic rock, yeah. Well, got to be classic hard hard rock. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was darker because you know they they tuned everything down, and you know they went with the the horror theme, and mm. you know the the reasons they did that was because they were walking back from their rehearsal studio that they used to rehearse in, and the busiest night was I don't know what night it was of the week, but the horror night. He said there was a line down the road. He said every other night it was just an average crowd, but the biggest crowds that went to see movies were horror movie crowds, and they went, we should buy into that. So they did that in their music. All right, we're moving on. We're moving on to PFM Cook. And you were asked last week as my student to look at PFM Cook and tell me what you thought. Well, it's progressive. I mean, I saw the album that um, they played with Ian Anderson, which I thought was wonderful because I'm a huge Jethro Tull fan as well. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, it sounded like Tull, really. Um, It was progressive. It was very well played. It's probably because it's not in English, it's a little bit difficult for me to relate to. But, yeah, well, they do. They do bring in a lot of traditional instruments into their music. They um, did, and yeah. having Ian Anderson playing with them with the flute and yep. you know his vocal stylings as well is yep. quite an interesting approach. Yeah, they did Bore, which is a great 
Jethro Tull track, which I'd played before. Yeah. So that was really nice to hear the interpretation of that because it's very jazz, very yeah. swung. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It does that definitely fusion. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd I'd say the same thing. Uh, bring it to fusion rock. Now. Yeah. Um, so then I want to put it in contrast to the Scorpions, who I didn't ask you to listen to, but. Uh, okay. the, the Scorpions, and I suppose you could put it across to the Michael Schenker group too, but what do you think Love of that? Um, yeah, I mean, I like the Scorpions. I think, you know, it's another very straight, very German, strict um, style of playing, which I, I can find is a little bit dry at times. You know, it's I, very I agree. Nice Everybody used to say to me, you got to listen to the Scorpions, they're a really hard rock band. And then I listened to them and I thought, well, not that hard rock. Um, I didn't think they that hard rock. And I thought the drumming was very straightforward. Um, it yeah. just slotted in there and that was that. Whereas Michael Schenker, I see a little bit further towards the hard rock. Yeah, I mean, Cozy Power, was, Cozy Power plays with Michael Schenker yeah. in the Michael Schenker group, which is good because I love Cozy because I saw him with Rainbow here. Mm, mm. I like his solo stuff. You know, mm. He's probably one of the only drummers to ever have a top 10 hit single on have, his own. Have you got that album? I've got his vinyl album. Which one? Oh, Cozy? I think Dance it's just, Devil. yeah, I think that's it, the, the first one. I had the, I had it. I've lost a lot of vinyl over the years, but different, you know. Parties and mm. so that's <laughs> oh, yeah. that's uh, scorpions. Okay, so all right. Yep. Okay, now I'm going to move across to a different topic. I'm pushing you this week. You're really having to give some answers. What are your thoughts on government support for the music industry here in Australia? Uh, very confusing. It's also very. I don't know. It's a bit cloak and dagger, isn't it? You can't get any truth out of people. Well, if, you, if, you, knew, yeah, if you knew anybody that got some funds, well, mate, you need to let me know because I don't know anybody's got any well, funds. That, that, that's exactly what my point. And I think I made this point with you in our first chat that we had on Laneway Talk. It was about the people that have those arts portfolios and where the funding for music goes. It's just I don't understand why they're not artists, why they're not musicians, why they're not in the industry, why they're not some sort of... We don't really have any representation that... They, higher government level and that worries me. Look, there, there, there is some in the, I think the Australia Arts Council and things like that, they put them on the, you know, the boards and I do have a chuckle. It's always more... Yeah, but are they, what, tell me what they do. Well, it's more a left, it's always more a left-wing artist than it is a contemporary artist, I can tell you that. That's for sure. Um, and we used to always refer to all these government bodies, whether it be uh, Music Victoria or... Um, Australian Arts Council as the indie yep. mafia because they were very indie orientated and they awarded funds to a lot of real indie artists. I remember the classic one we all had a chuckle about and belly laugh was that they'd given, I don't know, it was like 20 grand or something to an artist who was going to, he'd applied, he was going to Canada to busk for 12 months to try and build his career. Mm. They, that's that's what he was doing. He was busking, and that's why they gave him the money. And we just uh, we couldn't believe it. We we never used to encourage any of our artists to apply because we just say, look, the amount of time that you'll spend applying, I know, the, and the I've disappointment, yeah, and the disappointment that you'll get, Rob, um, is a waste of your creative time, talents. You need to actually be creating new music, and that's what will be your future, not those organisations that are there simply as public servants. And i I got to say, honestly, I I just I hate them. I just don't, don't like what they do. And it is so clandestine, 
and you can't get to any of them. I remember a classic many, 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 many years ago, because I'm 62, and multimedia was just starting, and we'd started a little company to put together a multimedia CD, and that's what they were back then. And um, I won't even tell you what the topic was. Anyway, we I think we'd secured, I think we'd secured like... $20,000, $25,000, which was a lot of money back then to develop it. And yep. the, the money was given to us to develop it to a stage to on-sell it to a, a major developer. So we, we were to get it to uh, the concept stage and then sell it on and then get the money back. And it was a loan from the government, although they never, they'd never, ever seen any money back, okay, on multimedia. They'd never seen any money back. And so we we ended up building the whole thing. We didn't tell them. We built the whole product, we'd packaged it, and we'd sold it, and we um, went in and we said, here's a check for 20000 We've, you know, made the money back and now we're starting to make some money. And, mm. oh, mate, did they they haul us over the coals. They virtually were going to take action against us because they, the money, the contract was to concept stage and to on-sell it to a developer to then develop and yada, yada, yada. If, it, what was even funnier, we were then nominated for the top award that year in multimedia and we didn't win it, but we are in the top five or whatever that were there, that were nominated. and But the... Um, whatever it was called, Multimedia Victoria, they were going to take legal action against us. That's the insanity. And and we paid them their money back. Do you believe it? Anyway, it's... Um, um, yeah, yeah, I'm... And this is and this is <laughs> uh, this is part of what goes on with these government support agencies and what they see is what's required to pursue the industry or grow the industry. Uh, I was only... Walking back, because uh, I live near the MCG, so I was walking around the MCG coming home from the city and um, yeah. talking to someone and it came up about, uh, you know, all the monies over the last three years that had been given to the major promoters here in Victoria, okay? And I don't need to mention who the major promoters are and mm -hmm. the amount, the millions that was given to them to kickstart the music industry. And I I said, well, I didn't know that it needed a kickstart. All you needed to do was go back to what they've always done is they need to pick an artist and they need to tour them. And they've always done it with their own money. Why we needed to give them millions to do it is beyond me. And what those millions could have done on the lower end for lower end venues. And they said that they gave it to lower end venues too. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. I need to know which ones they were. Um, half of them, you know, bloody closed. So, you know, that was just another example of government for big business corporations because that's what those big promoters are. They're corporations. And yes, but they're not very transparent. There's no transparency with any of it. As you said, it's cloak and dagger. So you don't really know what's going on other than... No, it'd be all... Stops, yeah. stops for the boys, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'd never get to the detail because it'll all be hidden under secrecy acts that um, it's on, on a needs-to-know basis. So just classic stuff of where what it brings me back to all the time is just create your music and get out there and do it. You know, I'm I'm off to see some bands tonight, one of our bands called Southbound Snake Charmers. I don't know if you've heard of them, Rob. Okay. And they, we're, we're doing – I did mention them a couple of shows back, I think, in that – 
I've been mentoring the band and we we're working towards more uh, more accessible songs. Their songs are really good. We write, and that's why we brought them on board. But they were wondering why they weren't getting as many streams. And I said, look, I think what you need to do is you need to angle your music a little bit more and make it more accessible. Yeah. And and that takes a little bit of work. It might sound easy, but it does take work when you write with a certain style. And we've been working on that. And their last video got 98,000. They were spewing 98,500 streams. <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, they're trying to push it to that 100,000. They asked us, could we do it? And I said, no. I said, we've we've supported it. We just got it to that. It's not about hitting the 100. That won't make any difference. What we need is where's your next song and let's get that ready because that's what it's about. But they're doing quite well. Anyway, they're, they're playing tonight. I'm going to see them and there's Where are they playing? Uh, at the Last Chance Rock and Roll Bar, which is a great, oh, a yep. great bar here in Melbourne, right? Um, yep. And uh, the venue is so pro, pro live music. And there's a couple of other, they're more blue. These are bluesy, swampy blues type thing, and oh, uh, a couple of other blues bands playing too. So it's, I call it that. It's in my alternative indie rock playlist. Remember, I mentioned that. Um, yep. I, I think I've called it the Deep South. Um, alternative blues playlist. And is that on Spotify? That's on Spotify, yeah. Because yeah. I looked for it and I couldn't find it. Uh, well, what you, what you do, because I'll tell you right... It's all done the laneway music and then play Yeah, it. There's, the, there's the laneway music artist playlist, which is a way to keep up with our new releases. And then there's yep. the Deep South Blues with a twist. And it's not under, it's not put up by Laneway. It, it's a, a different tag I've got. Oh, okay. Right? Sure. Yeah, because... Yeah. We, you know, we feel that if we put Laneway there, as we have with our other playlists, people then see it as we're just promoting ourselves. Whereas I'm trying to promote a different style of music here. Yeah, I've got a couple of my bands in there, but um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to promote a different list and I don't want it to be associated with Laneway because then people tag it as a certain thing. So Deep South Blues with a Twist. I was listening to it yesterday. blew me away, some of the songs. I love it. I can't wait to add more stuff to it. And it's hard because I've kind of picked them all out now and there's about two hours listening and, you know, it's easy to get them initially and then you go, wow, I've got to try and find more stuff like that. That gets harder. But I'm going to find them and keep plugging. So, yeah, I'm going to see live tonight and, you know, my point with that when I started was that that's what you've got to be doing. Get your gigs. And they've got a gig in two weeks' time and they're starting to get more and more gigs. I said, just get the gigs and get out there and play. But... Yeah. Don't get the gigs where you don't suit the other bands. You're wasting your time. And this is one of those classic ones where they're all blues and whatever. So the government support thing is uh, I'd like to talk about it more at another stage when I, I'll delve into it a bit more. I find that it is com it's, it's um, clandestine work with government agencies, with other corporations and indie mafia that the money will never go anywhere else. And as a young person trying to break into industry, you haven't got a hope there. They'll just discount you in two seconds. I dislike them for all they represent in that it's a little group that festers for themselves. Anyway, uh, biggest yeah, so now, this is a the big one now is because yeah. we're in 224. The biggest songs of 223 are going to blow you away with some of these figures because they're not that good and some are good, right? So the the biggest song for 223 is 
I should um, I should do the old. You want a drum roll? <laughs> there you go. I'll do a bit of Foo Fighters here. <laughs> sideways on my practice pad. Ah, oh, yeah. Is Miley Cyrus, everybody? Of Miley Cyrus, who may I say is looking sensational as she gets older and more mature, yeah. And that was with her songs Flowers, We Can't Stop, Wrecking Ball. Of course, we all know Wrecking Ball. Now, that that got there with 198 video and audio streams, 198 million. Say that figure again. 198 million the amount of money, if she'd done a, if she's done a sensible deal with the majors, and she should be on a 50-50 with them because of her, you know, other bands can't do that, but because she already had a name and she's bankable, right? As her manager, you would never do anything under a 50-50 deal with the majors, and I would even say oh. to them, nothing's recoupable either. <laughs> anyway, 198 million—that's a lot of money. That's a that's a lot of money. Now, if we said a million. A million is worth about a million's worth about fifteen thousand, right? Okay. So we're going to a hundred, uh, right? So you know, go up and up and up. So there's millions there. Then, but this is the downside of all this, which is, which is realistic. Flowers was the most downloaded song in two twenty three. Her song, oh, really? and that had ninety one thousand downloads. I mean, absolutely no downloads. Now, we get a lot of downloads, I think, because of our age bracket of our artists. So we still get them. I don't know why people download anymore. Uh, it's a difficult one. I th- Well, I do think I do know. Some, art- some um, punters do it because I think it's a donation to the artist as opposed to, you know, because... You know, you download it. It's a little bit difficult to know where you're going to have you downloading it to your phone or your computer and what are you doing and how do you play it. But uh, 91,000 downloads, that's not a lot, correct? Don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, they're all staggering figures to me, but it's not really something I'd listen to. No, 91,000. We we used to sell half a million copies of Jimmy Barnes' album. Uh, We'd do half a million copies. And, you know, and that's at a much bigger. This is of one song, so you pay 99 cents for it, 91,000. It's just absolutely nothing. Does uh, And then we come to number two. So there's Miley Cyrus. Obviously, you know very so little. Can I just ask you a quick question? Yeah. <clears throat> What's the source of your information? A bill, bill, billboard. doesn't get any better. All right, so billboard is your question. Okay, yeah. Coming from Billboard. Yep. Um, cool. And obviously you know nothing about Miley Cyrus because none of those you went, yeah, I know, oh, yeah, I know. They, surely you know Wrecking Ball. Come on. I oh, know. Yeah, I do. I've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We go to number two, Dave and Central Seas. Sensation. Right? So you don't know them, do you? Not at all. They're English, English rappers. That's and, why I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, English rappers with a... Uh, with a pop twist to it. Okay. So they were number two. So you, you nev- you've never heard of them, so you're not in the know there. And we go to no. number three. We're not going to go further number three. Go number three. And these and that was around 170 million streams. So yeah. then, then we go to um, number three, Ray and 070 Sharky's Escapism. Again, we're at... Um, we're we're in rap territory, rap pop, uh, and 0707 is a producer who's you know doing some rapping here. So, um, so is this Billboard chart 
Third, you were talking global. Global, global. Yep. Uh, and so they are in at number three at about 150 million. If I'm so not who mistaken. was that at number three? That was Ray, R-A-Y-E, and with 070 Sharky's Escapism. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right on it there, mate. You're into contemporary music, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> uh, so oh, that, I just... I, that music does nothing for me. I choose not to listen to it. And fair enough. I mean, I think it's there is a... that. It'll be interesting to see in the next 12 months because there has been this talk about there's a comeback for rock, whether rock has a bit of a comeback, you know, on um, on the scene. So, I mean, I just... So, what's your point on all these biggest-selling bands from... Well, I, well what, no, my point is a bit of information and I'm... I'm pushing it up against to you to see if you've heard of these people and what you think of those figures. And, okay. you know, that that's the point is to, I, th- I suppose, shake you around a bit and go, mate, this is what's happening now. Don't box yourself into classic rock and go, that's what I know, I love. Well, I don't. And that's all I know because there is other forms of music. There's a whole other bunch of music out there that... I prefer to listen to one. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's... Waste my time listening to music that I don't like listening to. <laughs> well, you know, you don't want to use that word, waste your time, because they're musicians like anybody else. Now, you may say they're not because the producer makes the music and not the artist. You know, some of them, do they actually sit down on a piano or yeah, a guitar? Yeah, no, that's not my argument. My argument goes a lot deeper than that, but, you know, we haven't got time to sort of explore that at the moment. All right, so that that's my point with that is just bringing up some stats and going, this is what's happening out there now, you know, and I think we need to explore everything. Uh, now, I want to bring up a couple of bands that uh, I want you to, well, firstly, see if you know them, and if you don't, to explore them over the week and come back to me and tell me what you think of them. Because oh, I'm at my homework. Yeah, I'm, I am blown away by these bands. Uh, I better look up one. I'll, I'll just look up one now and tell you whether... So, these are my two favourite bands at the moment, is Dirty Honey and Goodbye June. Dirty Honey. Yeah, Dirty Honey. They've got a bit of an ACDC feel to them. A little bit, their latest album, which just came out, has changed that a little bit. And they came to, they're American, they came to Byron Bay to record. You know, isn't that funny? I just laugh. They come to Byron Bay to get some vibes, you know, they're still, I mean, you know, there's obviously big money involved here. And why would you need to come to Byron Bay to get a vibe to, to record? You know, I mean, it's very much we were doing this in the 80s at Mushroom. We'd send bands overseas and they'd have to go to America or London to record because that's they get the vibe and, you know, and they'd come up with better songs and they all over there know it better than us. It's just I don't don't attest to any of that. Anyway, this band came here, but I'm a real big fan. Their latest album is more polished than their earlier stuff. I like their earlier stuff because it is more ACDC orientated. Then you have Goodbye June, who are more polished, straight-up hard rock band and more polished. Goodbye June as in the month of... Yep, yep, exactly, all right? And if you, you know, uh, have a listen to them... Uh, I think you'll be, you know, really blown away. And they are, they just blow me away. Just fantastic band, fantastic. And what I'm kind of, I want to bring up is try and explore these new bands as we go along and get people to, you know, to uh, 
see what they think. I mean, they don't... Uh, actually, I'm trying to see here how many streams. Okay, so Goodbye June, their biggest song has had 31 million streams. That's a lot. Sure. If I go to Dirty Honey, I'll just let me bring up Dirty Honey and just see... Uh, what their biggest track has got. Now, when I listened to them, say, three years ago, they were nowhere near that, all right? But they're really getting there. Now, Dirty Honey, well, Dirty Honey, their biggest track is 20 million. And these what bands are not, not not heard of here. What's okay. the name of their biggest track? Uh, their biggest track's 20 million. Yeah, but what's the name of the song? When I'm Gone, that's Dirty Honey. Oh, right, when I'm gone, yeah, from 2019. Right. Yeah, it's one of the older ones. And they're an American rock band from LA. Mm. Okay. So I, I want to try and explore some of these bands where people haven't heard of them. I would prefer, as I think particularly they came up in, in uh, you know, mentally I brought them up in my mind and straight away, but I'd like to pick more lower-end acts that have got, say, 10,000 streams or 20,000 streams, but I think uh, sound fantastic and try and explore some of them and see what we think of them, okay? Yep. I think that, you know, we'll we'll blow ourselves away with what's out there around the world, whether it be America or, or, or Holland or the Netherlands or wherever, Bulgaria, and go, wow, what a band. And, you know, and, and the other thing is how do you... In this new world, in the old days, yeah, I'd just go into a record store when I was a young a young lad and you'd flick through the vinyl and that's how you'd try and pick out. But now it's trying to do it through Spotify, who we all hate, of course. Well, I've got Apple Music in front of me. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, we don't particularly like them too much either. So, you know, it's trying to see, well, how do I discover these bands? And it, well, YouTube, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's not as easy as you think. I've found on Spotify, which I don't, because I know nothing about Apple, uh, Apple Play, do they have playlists on there? Yep. Yeah. So I find the best way on Spotify to find alternative rock bands and whatever, uh, or alternative anything, is to look at alternative playlists and find it that way. When they show you, well, this is what other people who are listening to this are listening to, uh, it, it never matches that well. It usually just picks out big bands or, uh, you know, it doesn't It doesn't really give you a good indication, whereas I find some really good alternative playlists and then I go through each act in there and I delve into the act too, so I don't listen to that one song. I then go into the artist and listen to, try and listen to one or two of the albums, if there is a couple of albums, and then make my mind up then so that I get a better picture, um, not yeah. one song, all right? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, you know, just quickly in Apple Music, there's, you know, Rock Essentials, Rock Hits, blah, 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 blah. They come up, Dirty Honey, when I said Dirty Honey in Apple Music, they come up quite a bit. Mm. That's got all, got all the videos. Well, I think, I think uh, you know, if you like ACDC, you'll like Dirty Honey. So, okay. Um, so that's one to have, uh, two to have a listen to for next week. And then also if you can, <clears throat> if you're searching out some bands that we've never heard of. I mean, I still want to bring up some acts and I'm going to go through my vinyl and I'm going to bring up, I know one I'm going to talk to you about next week is Bang, who are on Swan Song called um, Detective. Do you remember Detective? I love, I have that first album. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah. Well, there's two. I've got two. I've got yeah. I've got two two albums of theirs, right? And I think there only ever was two albums. Maybe there was three. Yeah. yeah. But Detective, obviously, they had high hopes for them signing them to Swan Song, and yeah. um, they uh, never got, you know never went anywhere. Then one that kind of happened around that time too, which a lot of us used to really like, was a band called TKO. I don't know if you ever remember them. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. TKO. So uh, I'm going to do a little bit of research on those bands and bring them up next week too and just go through a bit of that because, you know, these were bands that should have been huge and they didn't get there and they were supported by some pretty big labels. And, yep. you know, and I, I think what was happening then with that is happening now. They were the independent label, Swan Song, because they were Led Zeppelin's label. And Led Zeppelin did it for a reason, to promote themselves. Yeah, and, that was Armit though, wasn't it? Yeah, well, Armit, uh, well, yeah, but they owned it and all they would have been doing is delivering records. So they, they might have been funded from Virgin. Now, we used to do this at Mushroom too with a lot of bands say hunters and collectors okay. for example hunters and collectors yeah. were never signed to mushroom we had a deal with hunters where we would fund them to go off and record but they would deliver us the record we were not Wasn't involved that, white label that was the white label yeah and yeah. but that didn't apply to everybody on the white label but that applied to them they would deliver the record so we had no say in the end product okay now this that's was what, well, that's what the label that um Mushroom often to us before Michael intervened. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. White label, yeah? Yeah, it's got one of those on, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here at Swan Song, with Swan Song, it would have been exactly the same. They would have been being funded by Virgin. Yeah. But they would have been delivering. All they were doing was funding the financial side, but Swan Song were making all the decisions and delivering back. Right, all that Virgin would have had is first option to buy the label outright if they wanted to sell it. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. uh, so we do get a lot of independence, and if you listen to Detective, you probably do get a sense that there was no smash hits on there. Well, I think recognition was, wasn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was radio friendly, my friend, but That's a great um, yeah, I don't know if it was radio friendly at the time, mate. What was radio doing at that time was as commercial as it gets. I don't don't know that Detective were a commercial band. Uh, yeah, they were because they're very hard to find. Yeah, no, it was. There was no doubt so about it. Those albums are very hard to find as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to bring up a band later on. It's going to be difficult because they're called Hackensack and they're out of the States and they're a southern Leonard Skinner kind of band and okay. it has never come out online. And, um, oh, man, do I love that record. We played that record to death and... And there's going to be some stuff like that I want to bring out. You know, um, there's a there's a few artists. I mean, I, I think you might be surprised to know that Sad Wings of Destiny by Judas Priest was never online for many, many years. I don't even know. Is it online now? Let me have a look. Um, let me see. Sad, yeah, I mean. Uh, Sad Wings of Destiny. Uh, yep, it's up now. It was never up for many, many years, and um, and I because I, I used to play the vinyl instead because I I couldn't listen to it online. Uh, and there's a couple of other bands like that that their albums are just not up there, and you know they're in disputes. And oh man, but you know, then Hack and Sack will be one of those. I'm gonna have to, okay. but you know, and we miss out on that on that, and it. 
it infuriates me because from the artist's perspective and the label perspective, because I get into that, you know, furor and no, it's never coming out. You know, in this day and age, just get the thing out. Anyway, we'll talk about that. That's a whole different area to, you know, disputes and whatever. And we'll, I might go into a few of the disputes, things that are happening. Again, disputes with PPCA and all those people are all, it's all controlled by the majors. Uh, we haven't got a hope and um, don't ever think it's independent, you know, and it's not. Anyway, it's, I've got to be very careful what I say in that area. So that's about all for today, uh, I think. Uh, all right. And uh, I'll send you a bit of a message with those couple of albums to listen to and see Can where I'll we... give you a couple? I'll yeah, absolutely. I, I need, you know, I have a yearning, Rob, to discover new music, a yearning. It, yeah. You know, there's got to be stuff called, I've never heard of. A band called Gone to Earth. Who? Gone to Earth. Wild well on. Uh, everybody can hear my paper rattling around there. So <laughs> it's called Gone, Gone to, Earth. to Earth. All right. Where are they from? Adelaide. Oh. Well, is it actually online? Yes, it is. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. Okay. All right. So I'm going to have a listen to them, yeah? And King of the North was the other one. But... Well, King of the North we all know of. King of the, you know. From, I mean, Gone to Earth is like... I'm a big um, fan of King of the North. I mean, that, that two, they're the two-piece band, correct? Yeah, yeah. Mate, they, yeah, they do great stuff. But he was in the shop last week and he's released a whole bunch of solo stuff as well. So I'm thinking the North is trying to link to Danny Leo's. You know, there's um, there's these these local bands like, you know, um, Kingswood, who you, who you would know of. I think Kingswood are great. You know, yeah, and, um, you know, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard are just fantastic. A lot of these bands who are completely independent and doing it themselves and who have done so well. And yeah, yeah. I hand it to them. These are smart lads that don't need a major label. And, uh, you know, um, whether they go far enough to cement their long-term career, that's probably one criticism I give them is that don't think of the just now, think about in 20 years' time. Will you make enough money to live? And that's where you need to push the boundaries now to make sure that you either are there in 20 years' time or you've made enough money to retire on because, you know, the music business is just brutal after people don't want to listen to you anymore or you've lost your creative talents in that you've burnt yourself out and therefore you can't deliver any really new, inspiring music because you've burnt yourself out. So... You know, uh, more more topics to talk about with artists that have burnt themselves out, Rob. Uh, and, you know, Adelaide has a rich playground of artists from the 70s and 80s who we could look at who nobody's heard of anymore. And it has a rich playground. It, it's got to be... Oh, look, I hate talking about Sydney because there's nowhere to play in Sydney, really. And, you know, they used to make out it was the, the music capital of Australia. Well, that's Melbourne. And then to me it was Adelaide and then it was Sydney. You know, uh, you know, if you think of some of the great bands that have come out of Adelaide, unbelievable, yeah. you know. So... I mean, another, another one, a friend of... I'm, I'm talking about Adelaide drummers that I associate with is Karen Lee Andrews. She's another great artist. But what's the artist's name? Karen Lee Andrews. Karen. Karen. K-A-R-E-N. Lee, L-E-E. Karen Lee. So it's a female? Yeah, Andrews. And what style of music? Band. It's blues. Blues. Karen, I'm just going to write that down. 
Karen, and yep. I'm going to have a look at that also, okay? Um, yep. And and see see what I think, and I'll give you a critique next week. Yeah. All right. Um, that's about it, Rob. Uh, you can go off and do your uni work, and. Uh, Teaching today. I'll go off and do more release work. There's, we do. I would like to say to everybody, we have a new band who we are going to champion now. Umwa is in the band, so you know I can champion it. And it's called Bullet Tram. Get that right, Bullet Tram. And the first song is called Bought the Lie. So it's got myself in there. It's got. Kent Steedman from the Celebrate Rifles and it's got Simon Chainsaw from the Vanilla Chainsaws and Simon uh-huh. Chainsaws. Um, so it's uh, it'll be out towards the end of be the end of January. Um, we just completed cover art and whatever, and we've just got to get a video ready. So that's coming out. All right. So that's a new one. I'll be working on that today. Excellent work. Well, I'm waiting on your stuff, mate. All right. Well, don't I'm don't bad, worry. This new technology here, I've got the Yamaha EAD-10, which is triggering and MIDI, which is what I was talking about yesterday. It's like, so so what, are you getting ready to get some stuff together, are you? No, I'm always recording stuff. Yeah, but that's right. What, what use is that if we can't, the audience can't hear it? Well... We, we, so want, we want to hear it. Okay. When? <laughs> when? When, Rob? I don't know when it's done. <laughs> oh, God. All right, I'll hassle you next week, all right? And uh, and as we always say, there's the laugh to say, yeah, I bet you I won't hear anything next week because you won't let me. All right. I will. I've got, I've got a list of things that I'm uh, working through. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, all the best and we'll talk to you next week, Rob. Same to you, Ben. Thanks, mate. See you, mate. Bye. And there it is, another Laneway Talks. G'day folks, Mark Allen here and The Ox, David Schwartz uh, And we've started a brand new podcast called A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers And we're just chewing the fat A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With Ox and Marco I'm thinking about whitening my teeth Just so when I smile There's a new episode every Wednesday Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do <laughs> It's a stupid loaded question A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With David Schwartz and Mark Allen I'm eating the kids Maltese You're eating their of... Christmas present I am a piece of garbage <laughs> Listen wherever you get your podcast.